Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now, the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners. So there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to. And there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media. And I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. In this episode, I interview Adam Sobel, founder of the Cinnamon Snail food truck and restaurant in New York. Adam worked as a chef for several vegetarian, vegan and vegan-friendly restaurants for more than 12 years before launching the food truck in 2010. Since then, he's grown the business into a vegan food empire that employs more than 50 staff. He creates the recipes, specials, permanent menu items, catering items and plans new locations for the cinnamon snail. As well as a permanent eatery at the Penzi Local Food Hall in downtown Manhattan, the company also has a catering arm and an online store, as well as providing wholesale donuts. The food trucks continue to service New York and New Jersey for select public events. The company's won several awards, and Adam is also the author of Street Vegan, a cookbook on vegan street food. When he's not working on the cinnamon snail, he teaches free yoga classes and rescues animals. In fact, he had a very cute Australian mammal on his bed during our interview, and you'll have to tune in to find out what it is. (laughs) In this interview, Adam discusses why he launched a food truck business, the challenges and benefits of running a food truck business, the realities of New York's complex permit system, why a business should enter awards even if you don't win, the importance of listening to your customers and giving them what they want, not what you want, and much more. 
Here's the interview with Adam Sobel of The Cinnamon Snail. Hello, Adam, and welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's great to speak with you. So uh, the first question I always ask someone is why they do what they do. And you've had quite an interesting journey because you worked as a chef at various vegan and vegan-friendly restaurants before opening the Cinnamon Snail food truck. So tell us a bit about why you made that move and what are your drivers or your reasons for running your business? Well, um, you know, I really got into cooking professionally at first so that I could learn to make very yummy food for my wife, uh, who was vegan before I was. And in working at restaurants, I really um, started agreeing more and more with the ethics for why she had chosen to be vegan. And um, I myself became vegan a couple of years later when our first daughter was born, who's now about um, 16 in, a, in another month or two from now. So. Um, I started then my own business, like really with the hopes of turning a lot of people onto vegan food who would really never otherwise go into a vegan restaurant. So in the States, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of stigma about vegan food and people think it's either going to be very like health foodie and bland or really um, a lot of like fake this and that. And so I really wanted to bring extremely flavorful vegan food to the street to, you know, turn people on to vegan food who didn't necessarily give a crap about it yet. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. Uh -huh. And making that accessible because uh, you're right in what you say, you know, it, there is this perception that vegan food can either be healthy or it can be expensive. And I know there's some amazing restaurants, you know, on the East Coast, but, you know, they're not necessarily financially accessible to people. So I love that you, you did that. Right, right. Took it to the people, which is amazing. So tell us a little bit about the name of the business and why you chose it. Um, well, before we um, saved up enough money to buy like the most beat up food truck on all of Craigslist to turn into <laughs> our food truck, um, my wife and I were running um, a stand for a couple summers at our local farmer's market. And amongst the things we sold were cinnamon buns, which, uh, you know, another name for our cinnamon snails because they have that snail shell type of um, appearance. Um, so more than anything, it was just kind of a cute name and we went with it, but it's probably not the most business savvy <laughs> thing. Like a lot of people think that's like all we do is cinnamon buns and it, you know, we do a huge variety of savory food and other pastries and stuff. So, sure. um, yeah, more than anything, it's just kind of cute. And there's not too much rhyme or reason to our name or we're like to too much of our business decisions. We're kind of do what is going to be fun more than what <laughs> makes a lot of sense all the time. Well, you know, that's a, that's a, a good enough approach sometimes as well. So that, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. So tell us about some uh -huh. of your key challenges when starting up Cinnamon Snail, particularly as a food truck business. What were some of your key challenges well, in the beginning? So, so when we launched our food truck um, was really sort of just at the beginning of um, this trend of people having these kind of um, non-traditional food trucks in the U.S. And there really weren't, um, you know, there weren't a lot of people doing it and there wasn't very much information available for like what permits and licenses you would need to get and how you get about it. And 
in New York, um, they have a really broken kind of permit system and you have to get permits through like a black market. And, um, you know, the city will tell you that there's a waiting list, but that waiting list has been closed for over 20 years and it's very convoluted. Um, so we actually launched our business outside of New York City in Hoboken for the first couple of years while we worked on obtaining permits for New York City, which, you know, turned out to sort of be like a blessing in disguise because it gave us like almost like a soft opening period, both where I was able to figure a lot of stuff out um, before I was in front of like a giant audience doing it. And also, you know, I was able to generate like a lot of kind of buzz because we were like even more elusive and, you know, popped up at events here and there and weren't um, very easy to find. So by the time we actually got a permit for New York, um, there was already a lot of buzz about us and we had won some awards at that point and it was like busier than I could have ever imagined when we opened in New York. But I learned a lot of things before we got to that point. So it was actually very helpful. Some of those challenges kind of like helped um, lead the trajectory of the business in like a very healthy way. Cool. Now, that's good to hear. Now, you touched on the permit situation. I believe at one point as well, you, you could close the cinnamon sale because of those permit issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So uh, in 2015, basically, um, the New York City permit market had gotten um, so complicated and expensive and and as food trucks really became a huge thing in the city, uh, the prices of these permits were skyrocketing. And also the city was in, you know, increasing the measures at which they were trying to uh, control the black market for these permits and stuff. So it just became you know, increasingly unaffordable. And also the city was like... Um, even with all the permits and stuff you needed, the city was basically uh, shutting food trucks down left and right. So um, like for parking related uh, issues and stuff. So it became like with even this huge expense, um, impossible to know if you were going to be able to operate on any given day. And the writing just seemed on the wall that it was time for us to move on and open up um, some brick and mortar operations. So that's, that's what we did about a year and a half ago. Cool. Cool. So you've mentioned the permit situation, which obviously, you know, is, is, is quite challenging. What other realities or challenges are there involved in running a food truck business? Cause I think there might be people out there that think, Oh, it's right, too right. complicated to open a brick and mortar, like a restaurant. Maybe it's easier to do a food mm-hmm. truck business. So I'd love if you could give us a little bit of a reality check on what's involved in running. Sure. A food yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to get, um, I still do get very frequent phone calls and emails from people who want to open up food trucks. And uh, years ago, I was just like, yeah, you should do it. It's super fun. And uh, now I'm like a little bit more realistic about it. Like it is really fun and you can really reach a lot of people this way. But it's also very, very hard to make it economically viable, even as an extremely popular food truck. 
Um, you know, we, we really became one of the most popular food trucks in the country. And, um, it's, it's very hard. It has all of the same issues that a restaurant deals with as far as, you know, problems with staffing and, you know, suppliers and equipment failure and different stuff like that that make the margins very, very thin. But then there's a whole slew of other issues like, you know, for instance, you know, if you're the mechanics of the truck break down or the brakes need to be replaced, like not only do you have that extra expense now, but you have to pull the truck off the street for the day or the week to get these things replaced. And in the meantime, you know, your staff has no work and you have no income and you have, you know, perishable produce going bad that you're going to have to throw out. So it's, um, while it is a much lower entry point for a lot of people than like building a restaurant and having conventional rent, in the end, the operating expenses of it are pretty comparable, if not worse, than running a brick and mortar restaurant. Mm. With rent. You know, um, in the city too, you know, all food trucks have to rent, you know, commercial kitchen space and commercial parking spaces. So a lot of the savings you would think you're getting from not, you know, renting out retail type um, uh, real estate, you're still having to rent out some kind of commercial real estate to, to do it. So it's it's a lower, you know, build out and, and initial you know, startup expense. And it's very good visibility, but it, it really is hard even once you're serving a lot of food um, just to make the numbers work about it. It really is very tricky. Mm, Good. Now, thank you for sharing that. So obviously you've decided Mm -hmm. to move out of just doing the the food truck business. And like you say, you've got the brick and mortar location. You also do catering. You do wholesale donuts. And you've got an online store. So you've obviously diversified your your brand, which sounds like a a smart thing to do. Um, So... What were some of the um, what were some of the challenges involved in doing that, or I guess how it worked because you'd already got the brand going as a food truck. Was it a, perhaps a much easier transition to open the permanent location and do these other things? Yeah, I'll be honest. After running a food truck, and you know, we had a couple food trucks in New York City for a while, and after that, I mean, anything is going to be easy compared to that. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, I guess like the one challenge about it is that people have a very low expectations of what they would get from a food truck. Um, so it's, it's very easy if you're serving great food to just blow people's mind. Like they would never expect getting an incredible meal from a food truck, but people really have much higher expectations of what they get from a restaurant. So you, you know, you definitely have to really like blow everybody's mind to keep everybody excited about it. And as well, you know, one of the benefits of a food truck that you lose with the brick and mortar is that with a food truck, you get to serve different neighborhoods, you know, every day of the week, if you want, you can go to different communities and, and that's really exciting to be able to serve a huge, you know, audience of people. 
And, you know, every Wednesday, that one neighborhood knows that's the one-day week. There's a great vegan option in their neighborhood, and they all come out on that one day. And then every Thursday, you're in a different neighborhood, and those people know that's the one day. Whereas when you're stuck in one place, you really have to sort of keep your menu changing, keep things exciting, so that the people who are there in that one neighborhood every day remain engaged and excited about it more so. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's fun and it's it's a good um, it's good to stimulate your creativity. Definitely, you have to keep on your toes and keep improving everything all the time. Yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that. I think you've you've really outlined the benefits and the challenges of both. Uh, you know, the pros and cons of both, which is great. Now, I noticed I think on your website it says you've got more than fifty staff working for you so how do you go about finding and keeping experienced motivated staff particularly in an industry like the hospitality which often tends to have quite high turnover um it's tough i'll be honest and i'm not i i can't say i'm a master of keeping like our staff culture amazing like i think it's it's good and we try to have this be a fun place for people to work um but food service is very difficult um and it's it's hard to have the margins where you can really afford to um pay people as much as you wish you could um so it's tough like i i can't say our turnover is where i'd love to see it i think i have still a lot to learn about being a business owner you know i i'd worked in restaurants for about a dozen years before I started my own business. And I learned a lot about making really yummy food and engineering a menu and um, making some smart decisions about how the food should be prepared and even how it should be presented and marketed and stuff like that. But um, this is definitely my first experience with being people's boss and I think I do okay with it, but you know, it's definitely something I could stand to always improve upon. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have the, the ultimate answer. Like some, there's definitely some restaurants out there that I know have had the same staff for the last 15 years and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's only a handful who've been with me still like pretty long term. Um, it's tough, you know, especially in an industry where a lot of people in food service are constantly looking for ways to grow and learn. And, you know, once you've shown them just about everything they're going to see at, at this one place, unless you're like constantly reinventing the food you do, people get bored and they want to move on and continue learning. And, and I understand that as somebody who's been, you know, self-taught and learned through in restaurants like you don't want to be stuck making the same dish year after year after year after year as a line cook or a prep cook or something yeah got it and i appreciate your honesty as well i think it's good for people to hear that and i can certainly relate to what you're saying you know being more of a creative person to then suddenly have to manage people or manage staff my partner tracy is much better at that than i am i'm kind of like oh my god i've got to tell you what to do <laughs> But I'm getting better, and it is like, you know, so you have to learn those those additional skills. So thanks for sharing that. So we mentioned mm-hmm. a little bit about, um, I guess, competition. Yeah, obviously, we touched on in New York, certainly, is a kind of vegan paradise in terms of uh, the eateries that are there. Um, and while you're obviously pretty unique as, as being a food truck business, and I believe you've 
still do occasional pop-up events. There's others starting uh-huh. up. So how do you go about standing out and, you know, making a difference, uh, you know, a point of difference to maintain a steady flow of customers? Well, I mean, first of all, I think something that's unique in like the vegan culinary world versus like restaurants in general is I don't, at least I don't view it as that we're in competition with one another. I think it's really a very collaborative effort uh, amongst vegan restaurateurs to help, um, you know, the mainstream culture around us gravitate more towards nonviolence. And uh, especially in a city like New York City, where there's just so many people to feed, uh, you know, there's no way... Uh, you know, even if there's a hundred vegan restaurants in New York City, which there's anywhere near that many, even if there is that many, I mean, there are millions of eaters in that city every single day. And um, it's, you know, I think we're very much collaborating on, you know, the more vegan food there is, the more people are going to want to eat that way. And the more, I mean, if you even want to look at it on, a kind of selfish level than the more business there is for us all. But I I think the end goal is to help people stop harming animals and the, and the environment. So I, I look at it not so competitively as collaboratively. And if we're all working on doing the type of vegan food, we all specialize in as well as we possibly can then it's kind of a a win-win situation for all of us. There's great food to eat and there's more options for everybody. And it's, it's nice. You know, we're building out a, um, a new location right now that should be open in another, you know, five or seven weeks or something down in the financial district. And it's about a block away from another vegan restaurant. Um, But it's, it's different enough food and, and we actually encourage it in another food hall. We encouraged the food hall. They were going to have like a regular sushi place and we encouraged them to bring in a vegan sushi vendor instead. Um, because I'd rather there be more vegan options there than, you know, somebody selling, you know, fish and stuff. So, yeah, for sure. um, and, you know, so the, the vegan restaurant that's about a block away from our new location, you know, we've already talked with them about, you know, offering each other's employees discounts and stuff like that. And it's it's nice. You know? I was there today for a juice while I was checking on, on construction and like they're really psyched. So Fantastic. it's I don't think it's it's like a competitive thing. I think it's really like how we can work together to evolve, you know the culture around us. I love that. It's brilliant. What have been some of the marketing strategies you've used um, to grow the cinnamon snail brand? Um, Well, primarily we've done just social media um, since the beginning, and especially as a food truck. I mean, that's kind of essential because we're in different locations all the time. So you have to have a real-time way of letting people know where to find you. and, you know, up pretty recently, I never spent, like, any money on any kind of advertising. Um, but, yeah, still, I mean, I think the best type of promotion you can do is just continue focusing on making your food and 
experience as incredible as possible. And then, you know, your customers are so excited about it that they sort of do the promotion for you. And I think that's, to me, that feels like a lot more honest than any type of like paying for advertising where you're kind of like on on some level, like paying somebody to hype you or pay, you know, for some type of exposure. Like, I think that's on some level, it like feels sort of dishonest to me. So it's not something I, I'm really attracted to. What kind of, uh, what are the main social media platforms have you found to be most successful? Um, well, for a long time, Facebook was very, very good for us, though, like in the last two and a half years, as um, they've really tried to capitalize more on having businesses pay to promote their stuff. Uh, our reach there has really withered down to very little unless we, you know, pay to promote something on there. Um, you know, we have like 40 something thousand people follow us on Facebook. And, um, you know, a few years ago, it was not uncommon for, you know, one of our posts to be read by like 70,000 people or something. And now, unless we put some money towards it, like we're lucky if a thousand people get to see a post we put on there. So that's become increasingly not that effective, though that is like when you do like pay to promote through Facebook, it has gotten really um, specific at who you target, uh, you know, a post towards, which is very helpful for things like... um, uh, recruiting for a job position where you can kind of like really narrow down who, who, what type of person receives that post in their feed. You know, you can have it really just pop up on people who have um, professional experience in the culinary world and an interest in vegan f- stuff like that. And that's really super helpful. Um, but yeah, as as a general way of like getting word out about yummy food we're making, uh currently like I think Instagram is is a little bit more um effective right now, though you know they're owned by the same people yeah. who own Facebook <laughs> and it's it's guaranteed to go the same way. Uh that's gone. Um Sure. Well, you know, we're it. still involved in in Twitter as well. Cool. And I love that you shared that you, you were able uh, yeah. to use uh, Facebook um, to target for recruitment, so not just necessarily to sell yeah, yeah. or to raise the profile. No, it's really, really, really helpful Yeah, for that. that's really smart. Now, I know that you've won, you've mentioned, you've touched on this, Cinnamon Snails won several awards over the years, including Vendy Awards. You've been cited by Yelp and New York Post. You know, you've got some fantastic awards. So I'm curious, how has that um, helped your business? And I wondered if you could just sort of talk a little bit about the benefits of vegan businesses entering awards, even if they don't necessarily necessarily win right yeah um i mean we we've won several awards that are um really not specific to vegan food that we've you know like our donuts have won awards against other non-vegan donuts and our food truck itself versus all the other food trucks in the city have won some pretty big awards and to to me, like my purpose of getting non-vegan eaters to check out vegan food, whether it's mine or not, it really like increases the validity in people's mind when um, it's clear that 
you know, like if you're participating at this event, that's like all street meat type of food and people love the vegan food even more than the meat type of food. I, I think that's really um, gives a lot of credibility that has previously been lacking in vegan food that, you know, have contributed to the sort of stigma people have in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's, it's really a worthwhile thing to continue to try to gain visibility for vegan food, not just amongst other vegan restaurants. Like I'm less interested in participating in like a vegan burger showdown or something like that. Cause you know, like it's really a matter of taste, but I'd rather participate in a just burger showdown and have the vegan one be more exciting and more flavorful and more, uh, enjoyable than the non-vegan one and uh, to me I think that benefits everybody absolutely um, no that's a great yeah. great answer really good good advice for anybody listening make sure you enter your local business awards whatever awards you can because that, that's really good advice now you're also the author um, of street vegan recipes and dispatches from the cinnamon snail food truck tell us a little bit about how the book came about and how having a book has helped your business well, um, I've I've taught at culinary schools for uh, a good decade or so, and I really enjoy teaching people about um, making vegan food. I think for a lot of people, that's another one of the reasons why they might not be going vegan. You know, some people don't go vegan because they're attached to certain types of foods they think there has to be without if they go vegan and then some people just really don't know the first thing about making yummy vegan food at home. And they think it's like this intimidating, you know, like learning a whole new language or something. Um, so I, you know, I still feel like I have a lot to learn as a chef. Like I don't even really so much consider myself a chef. Um, I, I still really feel like I have a lot to learn, but I've definitely got, proficient enough with cooking that I can share some things that I know will help people make great food at home. So, um, yeah, after like a lot of coaxing, uh, it came about that that I wrote a cookbook proposal and like very much by coincidence, one of the spots we had been parking our food truck at for a couple of years, um, turned out to be right in front of Random House Publishing, um, oh, cool. who Clarkson Potter, who who published our book, uh, and so our book went out to bid. There were a lot of really enthusiastic in that publisher who knew of our food and had seen firsthand like the demand for our food and our following and stuff. So, um, yeah, so it was it was pretty easy to sell the cookbook. It got um, kind of like competitively bid bid on by a couple of different publishing houses, and I chose to go with Clarkson Potter because they really make beautiful looking cookbooks. And I know like the books I love the most have a ton of photographs in them and are just really visually appealing. And I knew they would um, do a great job with that side of it. So, Fantastic. Um, and how yeah, they, how they helped you? I, I don't know. I don't know whether or not it's helped our business. Um, it, it probably has. Like anything that you know increases the reach and visibility 
of your business helps. Um, and I know, you know, people from all over the country and all over the world have sent me pictures of my cookbook on like, you know, the other side of the planet. And I, I cooked at a thing about a year and a half ago in the Philippines and I thought nobody was going to know about our food or anything down there. And there were people coming up and bringing me copies of the book to sign and, and who were really psyched about us being down there. Um, so I, I imagine it helps in some way just kind of increase the visibility of it. But uh, I, I just wanted to help people learn how to make yummy things at home. So I don't know. Fantastic. Um, Sounds like it certainly helped to increase your reach internationally. You touched on media earlier, Adam. You said you could, I know you've been featured in quite a lot of media. Did that kind of happen organically, like just because, you know, you were out there and you developed this reputation or did you take any steps to actually get some media coverage? Um, The only thing I've ever done in a way of attracting media coverage has been pretty minimal. Like if we're doing something really special or like opening up a new location or a new truck or have like a whole new menu we're launching with really different type of stuff. Uh, I'll send out like a press release to a bunch of different, you know, bloggers and, and things like that. But all of the like television appearances and um, even like this show, like you, you came to me um, to do this show. So I think, uh, it just happens, you know, people get interested in something and um, they they contact you. So um, especially like if you're you're genuine about what you do, like, um, I, don't, I don't know, like, I, well, I, yeah, I guess I don't know. If you look on the television, there's a lot of people who are featured who are kind of inauthentic. And so I don't know. Uh, I, it's a mystery to me. <laughs> well, I think you've got an interesting story. You know, you've got a very unique um, kind of business. So, you know, that, that always works well with media. And that's certainly what I always tell my clients. You know, if you've got an interesting enough mm-hmm. story and angle, then then you can get that coverage. Just wanted to talk to you briefly about the use of the word vegan in your marketing and branding materials. Okay. It's something I, I ask everybody and it always get lots of different answers. So tell us a bit about your choice of how much or how prominently you use the word vegan or not in your marketing and branding. Okay. Yeah, I've actually tried it um, both different ways. So we we have like two different food trucks, right? And one of them like advertises in very large letters on the truck that it's vegan and one doesn't mention the word at all on the food truck. Um, And otherwise they're like visually very similar to one another. And I I don't really think it makes that big of a difference um uh i i suppose i i I don't know i have no problem with like using that word prominently um i think if people are aware that it's vegan and it's like so incredibly good and they see a huge, huge long line down the block and the food looks amazing. Like that's a really good advertisement (laughs) for veganism, (laughs) whether, whether you're open-minded to it or not. Um, Whereas if you don't have that prominently displayed, like they, they might not have the same kind of impact. It just becomes like a random food truck to them. 
Um, so, you know, there's benefits of both. And I, I very firmly believe like the biggest, um, results in changing our culture in the direction of people becoming more compassionate on a mainstream level, the, the biggest, uh, changes are going to come from lots of people trying lots of different angles about it. Like some people being, you know, very gentle about it. Some people being like somewhat in your face about it. And I'm fine with it all. Like, you know, it takes, you know, there are some people who I know I've influenced in going vegan. And there's some people who go vegan from watching like a really in your face type of documentary. Um, so I, I think it really takes lots of different um, methods and intentions to to get everybody on board. So um, I don't think one way is better or worse. I think it's like do what you want to do and what makes you happy. That's good. Got it. Now, for those people listening to this, um, they've perhaps you know they've got a day job, but they're you know getting inspired, wanting to start their own business, perhaps even a, a food truck. What would advice would you give to them, Adam, before they quit their day job to start up their own business? Um, you know, I guess I guess if I had any advice, it's you know you really don't have a whole lot to lose. I mean, if you pursue it and it's a huge success, then great. Like if it if it's not as big of a success as you planned, like that doesn't mean that's like all you get to do with your life. You can keep trying all different things and keep. Um, improving what you do and it's it's kind of a nice um, I I really love like working for myself and I find it to be very liberating and you know you have a lot of freedom to do great things and to mess up a lot and I I really like that um, but you know you you kind of have to like have faith in yourself and in what you want to accomplish to work out well um, so you know, if you're going to do it, don't like just put your toe in and hope for the best. You kind of have to like dive in and really give it your all. Um, I guess that's my advice. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think it's it's also getting uncomfortable with uncertainty, isn't it? You know, because obviously if you've got your nine to five, there's a certain element to some degree of certainty. You know, you get your paycheck each right, month. Right. Whereas with being an entrepreneur running your own business, uh, you've got to kind of sure. get comfortable with, with having that, that bit of uh, uncertainty. Right. When when I first started my business, um, I, I thought like I would have to have on our food truck, I would be cooking on the grill and I would have, you know, I'd hire somebody to work you know, the window kind of front of house position. And, in the, you know, after our first day, which was somewhat busy, there was like some media attention to it. It was really cold out. And for weeks, it was so slow. Like I couldn't you know, afford to pay the person working the window anymore. So for, you know, the first couple months, it ended up being me like 100% doing everything. Like I would you know, get up really early, make all the pastries, drive the truck out to wherever I was going to vent from all day and, you know, work on the truck all day, come back, clean the truck and restock it. And it was like exhausting. I would maybe sleep between like two and five hours a night doing that, you know, six days a week. And 
it took doing that um, for some months for it to become busy enough that, okay, now I could hire somebody part-time to help me and I could fix this and that and start gearing things up. And it took like a level of commitment that I think a lot of people probably would have given up or, um, but I was just really um, committed to making it successful and I was not afraid to work really crazy long hours. And it it sort of takes that, especially if you're going to start a small business without, um, you know, a lot of capital or investors or anything like that. And, no, that's been really nice. Like I haven't had any strings attached from people who are pushing me to to engineer the business in one way or another, you know, because I built it organically um, from scratch. So fantastic! Um, I love that you've shared that. Yeah. I think you know sometimes when people see a really successful brand uh, like yours, they they don't necessarily realise or that there's been all that hard work, particularly in the beginning. So I think that's actually inspiring for people to hear that that even the most successful brands, such as yourself, you know, really had to put those hard yards in to begin with in order to to grow it. Especially like you say, if you haven't got uh, you know a ton of capital going in, whether through investors or not. So you basically grew that organically and put put money back into the business and self funded it. Adam is that right yeah 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 cool yeah we've never had like investors or anyone who you know like has a share of the equity of the business and and that's nice we really don't have to compromise our integrity you know to to somebody else's you know drive to make the business as you know like a, a machine for making money or something yeah got it now i know you touched on earlier about having that passion and commitment which are obviously important qualities for for people to have to to run a successful business vegan or otherwise um so what obviously there's a lot of demands on your time and you mentioned there particularly in the beginning you had not so much sleep as perhaps would be optimal so what do you do nowadays or what specific steps or strategies or anything you do to kind of ensure that you've got a strong mental and emotional well-being to sustain being a business owner over the long term yeah I mean it's not for everybody but I have a very um, serious yoga practice um, that I've had for about the last like 15 or 16 years Um, and you know I have a a daily uh, yoga asana meditation practice that I I don't know how I would like keep my head on straight without that it really is very grounding for me to get up you know and sometimes I have to get up like stupid stupid early in the morning to be able to squeeze that into my day like a lot of people don't do it because they think like oh I don't have time for that but like I wake up at 3 three thirty in the morning so that I can include that in my day Wow, so, making um, time for it and prioritizing it. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it's like you could get through the entire day and everything has been like stressing about this and that about your business and you've like not taken any time to like prepare yourself to get through the day in a way that's peaceful and focused and, um, you know, coming from a place of, you know, like a compassionate motivation. You can just be like so tangled up about all the headaches of your business without any kind of um, sanctuary in your day. Right, yeah, right. It, and then that can, can lead be to burnout, sort, can't sort it? Of difficult. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's really been super, super helpful um, for me. 
Cool. So final couple of questions. What um, what, uh-huh. would you, what would you say have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business? Um, I, I guess it's um, a lot about um, being receptive to who you're serving and and seeing what people are really loving a lot and, and learning from both the people you're serving and the people who are helping you serve your staff, um, really like listening to them and continuing to refine and, and learn how to execute it better. Um, one of the things like I've really had to learn and has been a real work in progress is like learning how to train other people to do what I want done the way I want it done. And, you know, like really becoming a more exact kind of communicator and learning to make like very visual guides to like, you know, create like standard operating procedures that other people can follow and really like execute the food exactly how you would do it. And and even training others to create some of that training materials and stuff so that um, there's no like, question in people's mind who work for you, you know, exactly how you want it done. And I think most, most employees really like that, like, you know, being very clear on exactly what their job is and how they can do it, you know, the best job of it. Um, That's, that's definitely been like a huge um, lesson I've learned through it. And it's, it's kind of great. Like it, I feel like it makes me a better person in general. Like uh, our children, uh, me and my wife homeschool our children. And like this stuff that I do with my works kind of like made me a better teacher for my children, like knowing how to observe where people are at and what they're really receptive to and how to speak them in a way that's going to be understandable and useful to them. Um, that's, That's a really key thing, you know, about being in business, like whatever business you're in, um, is really making it so that your team like gets what their purpose is and knows how they can keep improving. And um, people really crave that direction. Absolutely. I love that. I think that a lot of businesses don't do that. Um, and it's, it's great to hear when a business does that because you're right, it makes it really good for the people that are working for you to know what they've got to do and how to do it. And also, like you said, I love what you said about listening to your customers as well. So rather than just churning out products and saying, here's what I make, take it or leave it, it's kind of listening to them. Well, what do you want? How can we make it better? And I think that's what really helps to mm-hmm. make businesses stand apart. So I love that you've, you've shared that. Um, so final question, what's your long-term vision for Cinnamon Snail and for yourself? Uh, well, for Cinnamon Snail, it's a business I don't want to expand indefinitely. Um, I think there's probably a couple more locations that I'd want to have with it and continue keeping it small and under, you know, pretty close, um, controls. Um, you know, I have some other, uh, food concepts that I want to roll out that are a little bit more designed to be replicatable. But there's some things about the cinnamon smell that um, truthfully, like I wouldn't want to magnify a thousand times. Um, It's a pretty complex business and there's some variables that leave it possible for like food waste or for us to like run out of food on certain days. And 
um, that's kind of an inevitable part of that business model, um, the way that business is set up. Um, but yeah, I mean, my personal goals, like, you know, I'm kind of like all about every living creature on this planet being liberated from pain and suffering. Like that's the ultimate goal here. So, um, yeah, I mean, anything I can do, whether it's professionally or through my life to, to help us all, you know, get on to that. That's, that's what I'm about. I love that. And we um, should just say, I know we talked just before we came on air that you're actually doing this interview with a wallaby, a rescued wallaby on your bed. Yeah, so I'm cool. hanging out with him a couple <laughs> feet from me right now. He's crashed out on my bed. That's so funny. Uh, he I've had... just did a wallaby <laughs> yawn, actually. Oh, bless him. It's so funny. He's I've had cats cute. and dogs appear on the podcast. Like sometimes a dog will bark on one intention. I've had a kitten. But I've never had anyone with a wallaby. So hello, little yeah, wallaby. Yeah, well, they're actually very quiet. You know, they don't have like vocal cords and make a lot of noise. But yeah, my family and I do a lot of um, rehabbing and and you know, like wildlife rehabbing and uh, um, fostering of animals. So, I mean, right now I think we have like the all-time low of about maybe like nine animals living in our house. Oh, wow. But we kind of have have like a revolving door of, you know, baby raccoons that we're nursing to the point that they can be released or baby squirrels. We just had a whole bunch of last Aww. week. And it's it's nice for my kids who are – homeschooled because it's like a great project that teaches them about medicine and anatomy and physiology and all this kind of fun stuff Fantastic. and it's it's nice because it helps creatures survive who might otherwise perish of course that's wonderful you've shared some wonderful um intel and expertise adam it's been fantastic speaking with you i'd heard about your brand for some time and i i put out a recommendation in a vegan professional network or a group that i'm a member of on facebook i'm like who would you like me to interview and you you guys you came up um, from a couple of different people so i'm really glad that we got to make this happen really appreciate your time thank you so much for joining me yeah my pleasure if you're in new york come by for a snack i will i'm gonna be there i will i'm gonna be there in october november so i'll definitely be looking you guys oh great (laughs) fantastic yeah let me know when you're swinging by so i can make you something good to eat sounds fabulous thanks again adam so that was adam sobel of the cinnamon snail you can find out more at cinnamonsnail.com and that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 68. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Ethical fashion is the subject of the latest vegan TED Talk style event by UK startup Vivolution. Co-founders Damien Clarkson, who I interviewed on episode 35 of this podcast, and Judy Nadal have been holding monthly sold-out events at co-working and event space The Trampery in Shoreditch, East London. The series of events called Vevolution Topics have vegan thinkers give talks sharing their stories and ideas for creating a better world. Next week, on the 2nd of May, and that's 2017 if you're listening in the future, includes Laura Stagerman, founder of vegan watch company Votch, and Alicia Lai, founder of luxury vegan shoe company Bourgeois Bohème, who I interviewed in episode 33 of this podcast. 
Nadal says, sadly, over the years, the fashion industry has been based on the exploitation of animals, people and planet. We're excited for Vevolution Topics to showcase a new generation of vegan businesses who are innovating to create sustainable fashion free from suffering. Amen to that. And I love the idea of these vegan TED style talks and it's great to see this initiative. So many other otherwise socially conscious entrepreneurs have a blind spot when it comes to animals, especially in fashion. So it's important to educate people and showcase innovative vegan businesses. And the good news is that if you're not in the UK and you can't get to the live event, social entrepreneurs Clarkson and Nadal plan to make Vevolution Talks available free on YouTube. Fantastic. The world's first 24-hour vegan drive through opens in June in Ontario, Canada, reports One Green Planet. The drive-thru will be the second physical location of Globally Local, a restaurant that serves vegan versions of popular fast food such as Big Macs, mac and cheese and French toast. Like Adam Sobel, this week's guest on Vegan Business Talk, Globally Local's founder James McInnes started out serving his vegan food from a truck. His McVegan's food truck will continue to operate alongside the two brick-and-mortar locations. Move over McDonald's, the vegans are taking over. <laughs> if you check out the photos on Globally Local's website and their social media, it's so obvious that we don't need animals to enjoy comfort food. It can all be veganized and be just as delicious, more so. So let's hope this kicks off a trend of more 24-hour vegan eateries. Food technology company Nutriati has closed an $8 million investment round led by London-based Tate & Lyle Ventures with input from other firms including Los Angeles-based Power Plant Ventures, which invests in firms that use plants to provide nutrition in more sustainable and ethical ways, reports Food Ingredients First. Nutriati is focused on the research, development and commercialisation of innovative plant-based proteins, particularly chickpeas. The investment will help to bring its first two flagship products to market, a protein concentrate derived from chickpeas and a high-protein gluten-free chickpea flour that can be used in baked goods, pasta, snacks and drinks. Tate and Lyle Ventures managing partner David Atkinson said the plant-based protein market has been expanding rapidly in recent years and demand for non-soy, non-dairy and gluten-free proteins has been particularly strong. We're pleased to work with Nutriati to introduce the next generation of novel plant ingredients. It's always a pleasure to report on the continued innovation in the plant protein sector. Who would have thought that the humble chickpea would become so popular? <laughs> Excellent. Finally, a new startup aims to get young people to go vegan by the time they're 25, reports Veg News. Better Eating International plans to create a database of 30-second video sequences that educate Generation Z about various aspects of veganism, including animal sentience, as well as practical tips on shopping. The company will distribute the short videos as ads on social media platforms, including Facebook and YouTube. 
To avoid censorship of graphic imagery, it will animate certain things, such as to show what happens in slaughterhouses. To make sure the videos are relevant to a wide range of people from different social, economic and educational backgrounds, genders, ages and ethnicities, the company will employ a community panel comprising people from all walks of life. The startup is currently running a Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign to raise $97,500, and if that's met, it'll be doubled to $195,000 by an unnamed foundation. At the time of this report, they'd already raised nearly $38,000 with just a fortnight to go. How cool is this? You know, business ideas can come in all different forms and this is pretty unique. I often say in my talks that we have to use sales and promotional strategies to sell animal rights to different demographics and this is a clever way to do it and get young people on board early. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.